Good afternoon, everybody. It is January the 27th at 5 to 5. I'm on my way home for a lovely weekend with my wife. And I wanted to sort of finish off the unholy trinity of uh, soul murder, uh, which is... Uh, boy, what a lovely topic we are doing at the moment. I promise it'll be nothing but fun and giggles next week. Um, but uh, I wanted to talk about, you know, so far, so far we've really been chatting mostly about the done unto scenario. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit more about the doing unto others scenario, which of course, a bit more than a scenario, it's uh, sort of the inevitable cycle of this kind of, of uh, problem, uh, of uh, this kind of corruption. <coughs> so, of course, you have, um, we've sort of talked about two, uh, two, two major areas. One is the, the uh, invisible apple dinner, <laughs> and the other is uh, what happens to keep you um, uh, dependent upon that kind of fantasy, which is, uh, you know, during the, the destruction of the true self that occurs in the appeal to morality around the eating of the apple. In the uh, next part, we have the corruption, uh, uh, the, re- the the replacement of the decaying or destroyed false self with the, uh, sorry, the decaying or destroyed true self with the false self that is generated by uh, an appeal to vanity, right? An appeal to sort of empty vanity, which is culture, which is, you know, we're the best, and so on. And, uh, you know, this, of course, bears its fruit in things like nationalism and so on. And what I wanted to talk about then was, you know, when you become an adult, after you've gone through this sort of um, process, and this process generally occurs before puberty. In fact, I would say that it almost always occurs before puberty. Of course, you want to corrupt children's thinking before they have the capacity for uh, rational analysis. Uh, you know, get them while they're young is the order of the day when it comes to this kind of uh, propaganda. You know, as it is with all, all kinds of propaganda, really. So, in the same way that, you know, parents or, or those who are older and more powerful tend to bully children when they're children precisely because they lack the physical strength to fight back or the independence to make better choices or uh, more, um, uh, to make happier choices than associating with their own family if their family is, you know, out and out nasty, which uh, is uh, not, uh, not too uncommon in my experience. Um, in the same way that you want to ab- uh, abuse a child physically when that child is young, you also want to uh, uh, abuse that child mentally when that child is, is, is young. And uh, I know that there's lots of questions here around the term abuse in this scenario. Uh, we could change it to corruption, if you like, um, but it doesn't really matter. It is the infliction of uh, things which are patently false upon children with no examination of the alternatives. And, you know, that is corrupt no matter which way you cut it. Uh, And it is certainly abusive to teach children that things are false when you yourself do not know for them to be true. And also it uh, it definitely teaches children... Sorry, it uh, um, it is bad to teach children even things that are true if you do not teach them the methodology of thinking. Right? So even if you tell them 2 plus 2 is 4, but you teach them nothing about math- mathematics and have them repeat it back by rote, then, of course, that is as corrupt, uh, almost as corrupt, as teaching them things that are false. 
in fact, it could be said to be more corrupt uh, when I think about it because, uh, you know, this is further confusing the child by providing them with the right answer, um, but no methodology, right? The, the, only, um, the only process of raising a child that is absolutely central to parenting is to teach the child uh, independent thought. Uh, this is the only possibility that the child has of happiness, of of good relationships with others, with uh, uh, of of integrity, of of decency, of morality. You have to teach the child independent thinking, and this means, of course, I mean independent and thinking is sort of a redundant, uh, since you can't think collectively. But you absolutely, first and foremost, want to teach a child how to think how to reason, how to determine truth from falsehood. Uh, otherwise, of course, you are completely crippling their mental faculties. So, uh, in, in that, that's what I mean when I talk about corruption. Uh, and, of course, the reason that uh, parents know that it's corruption is that they don't accept it in other areas, right? I mean, if I were to say to somebody who is, you know, 30 years old, uh, listen, uh, you come and work for me, and I will give you an imaginary paycheck that is really real, but, you know, uh, you can't uh, ever cash it, or you'll be able to cash it after you're dead, or, you know, whatever. Uh, you can only cash it in the 18th century or something. Then, of course, they would just laugh at me and say, look, you, you're not giving me anything of value here, uh, because, um, uh, you know, a, a paycheck which I can't cash uh, in this life or in this time uh, frame is not a paycheck at all. It's just imaginary. And so that's how you know for sure that the parents are corrupt because they absolutely do have the ability to tell uh, a real gain from a false <coughs> excuse me from a false gain to tell a real gain from a false gain uh, and therefore they know fully how to reason and rationalize to their own self-interest so if you uh, tell them that um, they should play tennis and there's an imaginary person who's going to play tennis with them who's just very bad, but they should coach that person on how to bit hit the ball back better, they would look at you askance and, and strangely and say, what are you trying to pull here, right? I mean, if I don't see this person on the other side of the tennis uh, net, uh, then I'm not going to pretend to be coaching an invisible friend of yours, right? And, of course, invisible friends is one of the things that children are supposed to outgrow, and if they don't, uh, it's considered to be a mark of psychological ill health. So parents, of course, or those who are in authority, have absolutely no problem whatsoever uh, determining uh, true values from false values uh, when it is to their detriment uh, in the short run or even the medium run to believe in the false values. So, for instance, uh, you know, the government says, we are the government, we have rights that are different from you, and therefore we can tax you. Uh, of course, if you say to them, well, uh, I am uh, Stefan Molyneux, I have rights different from everybody else, so I don't have to pay taxes, well, they're not going to let you do that, right? They, they're going to subdivide themselves or split themselves away from the general rights of humanity uh, through this abstract thing, thing called the government. But if you create some abstract entity of your own called FUBAR, assign yourself to that abstract entity and then say that that abstract entity which you represent uh, obviates your need to pay taxes, you know, they're going to laugh uh, and, uh, you know, send the cops out to drag you off to jail. Um, because, of course, the, the true facts of the matter are if you are, re if you are rational enough to invent a false absolute which you can claim to represent 
which uh, is uh, um, an ab- you know the 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 certainty the certain knowledge within a situation, uh, then you you obviously know enough to manipulate logic to your own self interest or to your own advantage, and therefore uh, you're fully responsible for the corruption of thinking which you're undergoing. So you know when somebody says when a child says. Um, why should I obey you to to her his father, and his father says you must obey me because I am your father, Luke. Then of course the the um, the father or the, the 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 dude is creating an abstract entity called fatherhood or the father or father, which contains all of the certainties that are required to win the argument. Now of course. Um, to uh, to to uh, allow the child the same uh, capacity uh, is obviously not allowed, right? So when let's say that the child is uh, 16 years old, so sort of r- able to reason and able to think for themselves, and the child says, uh, "I am going to create a cap- capacity of obedience or a category of obedience called 16 years old, and you have to obey that category." then, you know, the father's going to say, well, that's nonsense. There's no such category, 16 years old, and blah, 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 blah. And even if there were, it wouldn't have any moral stature, and so on. It, and to, to one level of degree of sophistication or another, that is what the father is going to say. And so, of course, the father is able to puncture any opposing or alternate claims to moral certainty based on irrational um, I- absolutes. So that, of course, is where the hypocrisy and the um, the abuse and the corruption uh, comes in. So you know this uh, uh, this priest says, "I worship God A," and you say, "Well, I worship God B." Uh, and God and if the priest says God A is better than God B, and you say God B is better than God A, well, the priest, of course, cannot say no to you logically. So the priest. Um, can't say uh, that I've created this imaginary fictional entity that is the best. Uh, of course, you're just attaching the label the best, which is obviously an empty category without any content. Um, like if I said to you, what is the best himini himini, you wouldn't know what I was talking about, right? Uh, it may not even be positive in the normal sense, right? The best himini himini might be the most challenging case for a cancer specialist, which is probably not considered to be the most positive thing if you're the uh, patient. So um, the, the, the category best is empty or meaningless without any content. And since something like a god has no intellectual content whatsoever, whatsoever but it's simply a negation of logic and empiricism and so on, then uh, saying uh, the, this is the best god, this is the true god, this is the whatever, uh, doesn't mean uh, anything, but it's, a, it's an absolute. So a, uh, a priest uh, cannot say to another priest, uh, you are uh, your God is wrong. He also cannot say to an individual that you know my invisible friend who is more powerful than your God and better than your God is who I choose to worship. Well, the priest of course is going to say no, that's not correct. Your imaginary friend, your imaginary construct is incorrect for this, that, or the other reason. So of course, to to logically follow the criteria of empty. Uh, abstract categories, you would have to absolutely, you would have to logically say, uh, sure, uh, your imaginary friend is a perfectly valid thing to worship, uh, and you, you know, you, you couldn't just sort of say no to that, 
but of course they do, right? The same way that um, a uh, um, uh, a um, a person who says, for instance, uh, uh, "You must obey me because I'm older than you," right? I mean, in in, in every like, so let's say the mother says, "You you must obey me because I'm older than you, and therefore you must obey me without question," and blah blah blah. Now, if her husband happens to be older than her, then logically, of course, the husband should say, "Well, uh, you are now um, uh, younger than me, and therefore you, my wife, must obey me without question uh, and without uh, um, uh, any independent thought." Uh, but of course, uh, the mother doesn't do that, right? Uh, and so, all of these categories that are generated in order to bully other people are not ever accepted by the people who create them as logical categories in and of themselves, right? Because somebody who had a logical category in and of itself would be curious about situations or circumstances under which that construct didn't uh, work, right? So if, you, if your mom says to you, um, if, if she says, well, I don't know what is right or wrong, but I'm going to think about it, and I'm going to come up with a moral rule called the oldest person wins and the youngest person must submit without uh, any complaint and without any questions. Well, if, if that was genuinely her process of thinking, then she would say to you, you have to obey me because I'm older. And then you would say, well, you don't obey dad and dad's older. And then she'd say, you know, I, I hadn't really thought of that. That's an absolutely excellent point. You know, let's, let's sit down and talk about it. And congratulations on, each, on reaching the age of reason. You know, similarly, if you have an older brother or sister, uh, and whoever is older gets to obey, uh, obeys with, uh, is, is the master without uh, any uh, uh, interference, then what happens if your mother and your older brother or sister give you a contradictory instruction? Well, you have two people who are older uh, who are then uh, giving you construction, uh, instructions which conflict, and so there's no way to know, of course, who to obey, and they're an impossible situation, which means there's a flaw in the logic, which means that the rule is probably immoral. Uh, one of them is, for sure. Um, so, you know, you, if, you, if, if those who came up with these rules that they claim as the basis for their justifications actually um, formulated those rules based on thought, then once, pointed out, once a contradiction was pointed out, they would go, oh, wow, that's pretty interesting. Maybe I should change my mind about that. But they never do. They never, 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 never do. All they do is they come up with some other justification. You know, so for instance, I mean, uh, George Bush these days is on the sort of uh, um, rescue the war in Iraq kick, right? Because they're not done bleeding the treasury dry and pillaging the taxpayers, so they have to keep it going. So he's saying, well, look, everybody in the whole wide world uh, thought that there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, so, you know, you can't blame us. Well, of course, that's not true at all. Uh, uh, those who did uh, believe that there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq were those who were fed intelligence either by the CIA or the U.S. intelligence agencies or by the Mossad or the uh, Israeli intelligence agencies. And, of course, the Israeli uh, intelligence agencies had an enormous incentive to get rid of Hussein because Hussein was funding the PLO and, and Arafat and so on, and directly paying the uh, survival benefits of those families that had a member that was a suicide bomber, and, you know, destabilizing the region, and, you know, in the first Iraq war, he threatened to send, he sent scuds into Israel, and so on. 
So, uh, you know, no, it wasn't like every country in the world had all these constellations of spies deep in Iraq who were, you know, trying to figure out if there were weapons of mass destruction and they all independently came to the same conclusion. Uh, I mean, that's nonsense, right? I mean, that's, that's just a complete fiction. Now, of course, George Bush is completely aware of this. He knows for an absolute fact that the U.S., had, uh, you know, intelligence and was paying Chalabi and all these people who came out of Iraq to give them information that would lead to a war. And that he knew that, you know, the Israeli intelligence agency, not noted for its objective adherence to facts, uh, that, the, uh, that this agency also had a strong self-interest in getting the U.S. to invade uh, Iraq. So he's perfectly aware of all of this. It's just an empty excuse clad in a rational justification. And you know it's an empty excuse clad in a rational justification because as soon as you apply the same logic to something else, then uh, it doesn't really uh, matter, right? So if you join some libertarian group where nobody believes you have to pay taxes and you sort of say to, the, uh, to George Bush, uh, sorry, uh, you know, everybody, and you don't pay your taxes for 10 years, uh, well, you, know, you, know, so I'm, you can't prosecute me because everyone around me also thought I didn't have to pay taxes. They're going to say, sorry, ignorance of the law is no excuse. Uh, it was pretty easy to check up on, and, you know, you shouldn't have, uh, um, you shouldn't have taken that step, and, and so on. Uh, and didn't you notice all of the other people who weren't paying taxes, right? That's the, what you'd get back from George Bush. So he's perfectly aware of processing all this information. You know, in the Iraq war, the similar line of reasoning would be, well, everyone else thought that they were, you know, but it's like you were telling all these people that there was no weapons, and then when they tell you back, you, you claim it as justification. Uh, but also, didn't you notice that nobody else was actually invading Iraq uh, at the time, and, uh, and so on? And also, you claimed for an absolute certainty that you didn't say we think, right? You said they absolutely are, we know where they are, we have the locations, we have the videos, we have the footage, we have the, you know, they know exactly where they are. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's pure nonsense that these people are com coming up with, and to argue them at a logical level uh, is ridiculous, right? You, just, you call them stone evil, and you, uh, you go on your merry way. But you don't sort of discuss. That's one of the things I get a little irritated about with this libertarians trying to discuss this or that political issue. I mean, as if there's any rationality in it whatsoever. You know, there's, there's pompous, windy self-justification, but that's about it. So when you become an adult and you've gone through this, this sort of um, uh, the soul murder at the beginning followed by the, uh, the substitution of the false self or the true self through the application of, of vainglorious cultural absolutes, then you are ready to go out into the world and to complete the cycle. And what does that look like? Well, uh, as I've mentioned uh, just uh, previously, you have this wonderful ability now to come up with sort of fluid rationalizations and justifications for everything that you're doing so that you'll never have any self-knowledge, you'll never be caught uh, in any way, shape, or form. You'll always have a perfect answer for any question that can't be argued with. Uh, because, you know, you're, you're dead. Like, emotionally and spiritually, you are uh, a corpse. You are uh, one of the walking uh, undead. Uh, you are uh, a blight upon the world. You are uh, a, a hatred and hostility to all that is good and true. And your entire purpose of existence now uh, has become the destruction of truth and virtue in others. You know, that pain which we fail to acknowledge, we will always reproduce. Uh, in others. And these uh, unbelievably hateful specimens of humanity, which is, you know, in my experience, most of humanity, 
uh, they claim, you know, th to be acting for virtue, but they're doing the complete opposite. And when faced with a contradiction, they always just have another uh, bullcrap answer at the ready uh, to continue justifying their exploitations of others. So the, um, the, the cycle then becomes, sort of emotionally, you know, the agony that we talked about a couple of days ago at the table of the invisible apples, the agony of realizing that uh, you are your uh, sole and primary means of survival, uh, sorry, that's redundant, soul is primary, <laughs> your sole means of survival, which is your capacity to understand things rationally, is under direct attack by those who claim to love you, that the horror of facing that, you are surrounded by people who are uh, hoping to destroy your capacity for love, happiness, truth, and virtue, or that you are insane and uh, nobody um, uh, nobody um, uh, knows it except you, right? Because they're all believing that you can see this invisible apple. And of course, nobody knows, and nobody really believes the latter. Uh, and pe people really just, they know the former, right? They know that it's, it's the, the straight, straight desire to corrupt them and, and destroy them, that this invisible apple is held up, whatever it is, you know, God or country or the family or culture or whatever. Um, so they know for a fact that they're trying to be corrupted and destroyed, and the agony and terror of that, right, gets uh, repressed, and it gets suppressed initially and then repressed uh, eventually, so that you no longer feel that kind of pain and horror. But that pain and horror still exists in the world, right? And whatever we don't permit ourselves to feel, we end up causing other people to feel like ten times over, right? So that's why the sociopath who's gone through so much horror in usually his early life uh, feels no uh, pain or guilt, but is continually cruel uh, to towards towards others because the pain and the guilt are facts of reality, and they have to have manifest. They have to be manifest somewhere. Uh, and therefore, um, they get manifest as, as, you know, vicious behavior towards others with no uh, guilt or shame. So if you don't acknowledge the, uh, the agony of this early and, and incredibly successful assault upon your personality and your being, then what happens? Well, whenever you are in a situation of power, whenever you face somebody who is dependent upon you, or who is uh, in, in your control in some manner, what happens psychologically is you get these faint echoes of that early uh, pillage of your personality, this sort of early uh, rape of your natural faculties. And the, the sort of whiff of that pain, and I'm not saying this happens at a conscious level, but the whiff of that pain causes you to react aggressively. Right? You faced incredibly extreme aggression against yourself when you were young, right? The worst kind of aggression, which is a soul murder. And then when people are now dependent on you, this primarily happens with children, but it can also happen if you're a TA. Uh, it can also happen if you uh, uh, work in a daycare or you have younger siblings or uh, you have employees. It doesn't have to necessarily only occur when you have children, but the subterranean agony of what it is that occurred for you uh, is always manifest then when you're in a position of power. And so you're going to become either compliant in general, right? So in other words, you take the side of the abused child mentally uh, and submit, but, but, you, but you, you also don't process the agony and therefore you end up having to con continually submit so that you don't feel the agony, right? You submit in order to avoid feeling the agony of this soul murder and so, 
you are going to continue to submit because the moment you fight back, you're exposing the true facts of the situation, which is that you were uh, horribly preyed upon when you were younger and exploited and, you know, people were out to really uh, destroy your personality in order to exercise power over you. And so if you cease obeying, you awaken that old wound and it becomes a possibility that you didn't have to obey and thus the evil of those who preyed upon you becomes more and more clear. So you end up either obeying or you end up um, preying on others, right? So uh, if you take the second route that we talked about on Wednesday, which is you become cynical and give up on morality, right? if you take the first route and you try and uh, uh, be a good person, then you're going to end up having to uh, be an obedient sucker for the rest of your life. And if you take the second route, which is the amoral, uh, I give up on, author- on morality route, and truth, then you become uh, one of the abusers. Rather than a continual victim, you become a continual abuser. And you will have no choice, really, but to continue to prey upon those whenever you're in a situation of power. Because if you don't exercise your power in a horribly destructive way when you're in that situation, then again, what you are going to inevitably be starting to think about is, well, gee, if I can get by without abusing those who are in my power, then it was possible, of course, then it's possible to do that, which means it was possible for my parents and those around me to do it, which means that they chose to abuse me, which means that they are evil, which means that I was hurt, which means that there's agony and there's, you know, you're going to have to make decisions about your family of origin and you're going to have to make decisions about your whole culture and community and nobody wants to do that, of course, because it's, you know, it's incredibly painful and and, uh, time-consuming and mental energy consuming. So you <coughs> either then have to perfectly comply um, in principle, I mean, it doesn't mean you're always going to comply, or you are going to uh, become an abuser and then commit the sole murder on others. So either way, you have to turn either abuse or victimhood into an absolute so that you can avoid the pain of knowing that people chose to hurt you when they could have chosen otherwise. So what we can't handle emotionally, we pretend are absolutes, right? So if we, are, uh, if we have been victimized, then we pretend that victimhood is simply the best and, and responsible way to deal with conflict, and it's a virtue, and turn the other cheek, and blah, 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 right? And if we, are, um, uh, if we take the amoral route, uh, then, you know, it becomes uh, an eye for an eye, uh, vengeance is all, uh, power over the weak uh, is the... Um, the way to go. And, and both of these strategies are simply designed to help avoid the natural agony of being horribly preyed on by those who had Im- almost infinite power over you uh, as a child, right? And of course, you can see this, this line of um, passivity versus hyperaggression uh, going all the way through most systems of thought, right? I mean, if you look at, at Nietzsche's uh, thought, his division of philosophy into master morality and slave morality, uh, this falls very much along uh, along those lines, of course. If you look at the uh, instructions in the Bible, uh, you know, these contradictory instructions of either A, you know, turn the other cheek, and, you know, if your enemy asks you to walk a mile, walk two miles, and if he asks for your cloak, give him your shirt as well. 
if you take that, uh, sorry, if you look at that side of things, that's very much from the victimhood is inevitable, nobody has a choice, you must submit to power. Uh, then uh, you can see that side, and on the other side, the sort of Old Testament damning God, thunder and fire and brimstone and hell. This is all the amoral, you know, uh, the one has no choice but to exercise power over the weak, they deserve it, they, uh, whatever, right? They are weak and they must be toughened up and so on. Uh, you can see this, of course, in the traditional um, male-female, although it's not as traditional anymore, the male-female approach to parenting, right? The uh, sort of, uh, you know, shape-up kind of stuff which your sergeant major dad and the more sort of gentle and kind and sympathetic side of your mother, uh, that's often uh, a kind of split uh, uh, that way. You also see this, of course, in uh, the um, the sort of uh, the velvet fist of government, right? So on the one hand, you know, uh, you chose us, and uh, you know, uh, we are your responsibility. To say the politicians, you know, you voted for us, and you know, this is the system, and so on. And you know, it's a fundamental value uh, to help the poor and help the sick, as I was talking about this morning. And that's sort of the um, the victimhood side of things. Um, that, you know, you are responsible for us and you created us uh, as the voters and so on. So you have to obey. Uh, and the second, of course, is that if, you know, if you don't uh, do uh, what they tell you to do, then they'll rain down the police and the military on you and, you know, shoot you if you don't go along with things. And that, of course, is the um, the sadism side of the sort of masochism and sadism continuum. And so the effects in the long run are perfectly constellated to exploitation, right? For exploitation to occur, you need two parties. You need somebody to exploit and somebody to be exploited. So what you really want is obedient people who are in the majority and a minority of sadistic, uh, cold, um, hypocritical, uh, and pseudo-moralistic exploiters. Uh, and, you know, these can be either those who do it verbally through politics or, uh, you know, violently through the military, or like if you're a military man or a policeman. So, you know, this is how the system perpetuates itself, uh, how it reproduces itself, I guess you could say, uh, in, in, in that you have a majority, and it has to be a majority of, of compliant people, because if you have a majority of aggressive people, then the society self-destructs, right? So if you have a majority of sadists, you end up with, you know, Nazi Germany, right, where you just have, and even they, the, the people who paid taxes and obeyed the government were far, by far in the majority compared to those who, you know, preyed on the population and, and, you know, murdered so many people. So that that's how it reproduces. And that's why I said, when I said on, um, when I said the other day that uh, all of the um, uh, predation, that all of the evil and corruption and predation within the world occurs in this, in this moment where this invisible apple is proffered and you are uh, considered to be a horrible person for uh, hesitating or refusing or questioning uh, whether or not uh, it is the right, uh, whether or not uh, something valid is occurring or whether you're just being exploited. This is why, because this moment, this, this dinner table from hell, uh, is what pushes you uh, sort of inevitably into this uh, either you are uh, going to be an aggressive exploiter or you are going to a, be a passive uh, passive-aggressive, self-justified, uh, hypocritical, while well, both sides are hypocritical, uh, victim. And, uh, you know, all of it is to avoid the amount of pain. And I think if you, if you understand the agony that the world is in at the moment, I mean, the agony that the world is in at the moment is mind-bending. It is just beyond description. It beggars description. Um, even if you take out of the equation all of the horrible countries with the theological dictatorships and military dictatorships and juntas and all that, 
then you still, and even if you just look at the West, the amount of agony that is in the West at the moment is just staggering. I mean, the West is in its death throes of, uh, you know, irrationality. Uh, but with all the added bonuses of the products of a rational framework of capitalism, which is, you know, the guns, the bombs, and so on, uh, you know, paid for by taxation, but produced by, um, by the market or through the products of the free market. I mean, so the West is absolutely in its paroxysm of, of, of death uh, and destruction, sort of mentally, and this is why nobody's relationships are very satisfying. I mean, except for, you know, maybe if you've gotten this far in the podcast, you might be one of the people who, who has uh, seen through some of this stuff. But, uh, you know, it's why people's relationships are so unsatisfying and why everybody's so, you know, why the good men are all full of jumpiness and the bad men are all full of conviction. And so this, uh, this situation uh, which is occurring, this agony that's in the world, uh, and the agony, of course, that the West, through foreign policy, is inflicting upon the victims uh, is just staggering. I mean, the the, uh, the genocidal uh, impact of foreign policy on, uh, you know, uh, external countries, particularly from the West, is just beyond belief, right? I mean, it also beggars description, though perhaps I'll take a stab at it this weekend. But uh, if you get a sense of the agony of the world, then you get a sense of the horror of this moment around the table when you were offered this this fruit, uh, that has no existence and told that you must believe in it or die to one degree or another or be condemned at the very least. The agony that is spread out through the world and manifested across many decades of a man man's life or a woman's life, that is the effect of this unbelievable betrayal and destruction and the soul murder that occurs very, very early in life. And that's what points people towards these two poles of sadism and masochism and that is you know, what at root we need to oppose. That's what at root we need to fight. Because if we can't fight that early moment, uh, and in ourselves, it's where we need to fight it first, right? That's where clarity has to come from, is through the acceptance of the agony of that initial moment of ultimate betrayal uh, and destruction. If we can't accept and fight that within ourselves, you know, we're not going to have any luck uh, trying to fix and fight anything uh, in the world because the strength that comes from self-knowledge and the acceptance of the horrors that were perpetrated upon us as children by our parents, by our school teachers, by our priests, by our politicians, by our community leaders, by everyone, uh, sort of epistemologically at first, or metaphysically actually, uh, all of that then flows into the corruption that we see into the world. And there's really no point uh, trying to fight that corruption without first being aware of its source uh, within ourselves and you know, re-experiencing the pain and horror of that early betrayal so that we can become strong and passionate and integrated and that way we can have an effect on the world that probably has never, ever been seen before. Thank you so much for listening. As always, I wish you all the best.